Welcome to the AJP Podcast, a podcast for pharmacists by pharmacists, where we discuss current events, relevant topics and emerging issues. I am your host, Carleen McMore, and together with the AJP, I am bringing you the opinions and expertise of different pharmacists to discuss their views and insights on topics relevant to pharmacists. Please like, rate and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss an episode. This podcast is on the scope and recognition of pharmacists. And with the scope of pharmacists constantly being reviewed and current world events causing more flexibility and changes to how we meet patients' needs and protect patients and ourselves, this has brought pharmacist scope and practice into the light. And with trials in Queensland with trimethoprim for UTIs, there is no better time to discuss this important topic. Rachel Dina and Peter Crothers talk about preventative health, the potential and future for pharmacists, as well as discussing foundation and advanced pharmacy practice and development, rural pharmacists, and training for diverse skills. Obviously, the um, the medication use review services, you know, that's linked to us being able to um, allow the patient to experience that service and have uh, recognised remuneration around that. Uh, I think that in if we're looking at... um, you know, number one, our health budget and the potential explosion, and even if we just look at diabetes as an example, I think the big space that hasn't yet been looked at where the skills of pharmacists can be utilised and where there should be um, remuneration is around um, preventative health screening and risk assessment. I really feel that, you know, at the moment we do that as health promotions and it's kind of like for public awareness and it's all, you know, warm and fuzzy and there's no real targeted strategy around preventing people from progressing with chronic conditions, identifying early and giving, identifying referral needs or dealing with that, um, you know, as long as it's within scope um, around preventing, um, you know, for example, you know, the progression of diabetes or whether it be, um, you know, respiratory conditions, whatever it is. So I think that it's fantastic that things like vaccination, that we're utilising pharmacists and also upskilling them into required areas for public health and, you know, um, general community health outcomes. But I, I really think that that's the next thing that's been on the cards as a really important thing for so long. And yet we still see nothing. There is a lot of research in the area around, um, you know, outcomes that, you know, could occur with pharmacist intervention in that space. And, yeah, I just... I I think that that's way undercooked at the moment. And if we're going to be able to afford our health budget, you know, 2050, then someone needs to be active in that space um, and pharmacists are perfectly positioned... I, I try not to get too um, excited. I try not to get too excited about anything. Excitement's a word I don't like. Um, <laughs> uh, try not to get too sort of caught up about questions of scope of practice. I, 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 I sort of choose to be a bit relaxed about it um, <clears throat> because I, I think it'll be determined for us anyway. You know, I think we need to sort of concentrate on things like, you know, being paid in a fair and equitable way and 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 um, and we'll find where our niches are. You know, we, I mean, we've found a lot of them already. And I, and I agree with what Rachel says about, um, you know, developing things in the preventative health space. But, but I think if we can just deal with some more fundamental issues, the issues of scope 
of practice will will sort them out eventually. You can be sure of one thing, and that is that you know in 100 or 200 years' time, um, we won't be doing what we're doing now. The scope will have developed. It, it will have developed in ways that we can perhaps imagine, but it'll uh, it'll it'll develop in other ways that we can't imagine. Um, it's possible that we won't even be pharmacists anymore. It's possible that we may be being trained like doctors and, and have taken up a role that's more, more like the clinical pharmacologists. Or, uh, we just don't know what the future is going to hold and I think, it'll, I think it will, you know, scope will develop in an, in an organic sort of way uh, and there are more in th- important things to obsess about than, than you know, what our precise roles are. Um, and, and those things are um, remuneration, uh, training, you know, the way that we develop um, uh, ourselves as clinicians. You know, one of the huge things that's just missing in, in pharmacy is foundation years development, you know, formal foundation years development programs. You know, it, it's... Uh, People are still finishing their pharmacy degrees and saying, OK, I'm registered, all OK. Um, and that's... I just think that that's unacceptable. You know, there's no other health profession that's like that. Um, you know, who says, well, you know, OK, I'm a pharmacist, you know. And, and it leads to these ridiculous things, you know, like there are, pe- you know, there are people who call themselves pharmacy advocates, you know, who are, who are essentially saying a pharmacist is a pharmacist is a pharmacist, you know. And once you're a pharmacist... You're a pharmacist, and there can never be any other sort of pharmacist than a pharmacist. Um, what what we need to be doing is taking people straight out of their internship year and saying, "You're not finished yet." You know, in order for you to be um, fully equipped, you know, you are facing another at least ten or twelve years of learning. This is in the PSA documents. Um, in the remuneration documents and they have this sort of concept of a foundation years pharmacist and then a sort of advanced practice one, two, three. I I detest the term advanced practice. I just think it's so bloody Um, wishy-washy. But but I buy into the concept. But, you know, we should be taking people... So, you know, so we should have a rural generalist pathway in pharmacy, for example. We should be taking people who are interested in rural practice um, and we should be um, asthma education, diabetes education, um, opioid, su- opioid substitution, um, HMR accredited, um, uh, and a bunch of other things as well. Certainly, you know, mental health stuff. Um, uh, you know, that goes a bit beyond mental health first aid training, um, and and all of those sorts of things, and giving them the range of skills, you know, a, a diverse range of skills that they would need to sort of practice in. In, in, in a rural area, in particular, um, you know, there should be other there should be other equivalent pathways that are that are more specialised. Uh, you know, where a person can, you know, choose, uh, you know, to, to to go down a, a body system specialty, for example, or a, or be geriatric or paediatric in their <coughs> in their clinical focus, and um, and they're the sort of things that we they're the sort of things that we can change. You know, we can obsess about scope, but at the end of the day, it's going to be determined, you know, not not completely by us. But what we can do 
is make sure that we're properly trained clinicians and that we, we develop a culture within the profession of, of you know, being really serious about that and training ourselves up and being able to look the other cl- uh, clinicians in the eye and, you know, speak to them as, as equals because at the moment... You know, a lot of people don't realise this, but at the moment, things like the community pharmacy agreement, you know, a, a, a lot of the the hiccups in negotiating service payments for pharmacists is that we're not perceived to be as qualified or as qualified enough to actually claim the payments that we're asking for. And, and, and we have to address that ourselves. So, so I, I think those sorts of things are just more important. Um, talking about scope of practice is important because it's a sort of a framework in which you can have discussions, you know, and, and, and you need that framework. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, going, to, it's going to be determined partly by us and mostly by other people. And the rural pharmacy environment, or sorry, the rural health environment is um, unique in that, you know, you do have a lot of gaps in um, care and specialty and it's a you know I'm, that whole concept of um, pharmacies specialising and continuing to grow their knowledge um, mm. improve their expertise and you know it's one of the reasons I can't wait to get back into rural practices you know you there there is a real purpose behind that specialisation to to fill the gaps have the expertise and mm. as you say be recognised for having the right knowledge and skills mm. to actually um and yeah the di- diabetes educators and um you know all um uh, it's i totally agree i don't think i can add anything because yeah, it was so people, well articulated <laughs> pe- 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 people people come in and ask you to do it anyway demand you that you do it so you have to do it mm. steve morris discusses scope of practice within competency and what skill sets might be required and also what is the need in the healthcare system and working with integration so I think the greatest opportunity I would sum up by saying is to push the scope of practice within a pharmacist's competence. But it will be completely reliant on some of those pharmacy characteristics we discussed around assertiveness being addressed. So it's the same, I'd say the same for any profession. It's, it's what is your full scope of practice within your competency and what other skill sets do you need to, uh, to um, achieve in order to fulfil those functions? whilst working as part of an integrated system. That's a really, it's actually a really good way of describing where scope sits. Because we talk about scope of practice, and competency is clearly a huge part of that, but competence both for the profession and competence for the professional. When we talk about uh, pharmacists prescribing, for instance, there's all, there's the response to it from the negative point of view seems to be that uh, well pharmacists prescribing will come in and will flick a switch and suddenly every pharmacist is prescribing when nobody's ever advocated for that at any yeah. point um, yeah I think it's a really interesting way so, so maybe the other thing to add about scope but also scope needs to be pursued in context of need and often professions look to push your scope from an internal perspective and it's about looking outside the profession what is the need within the health system and of that need, what could be fulfilled by a pharmacist increasing their scope? I think that's the other way in which we should look at these things. Otherwise, we become very internal 
professional pursuit of scope as opposed to really addressing a critical need within the health system. There are different interprofessional um, views on extending the scope of any profession. Uh, my view is it should be around competence to do clinical function. Competence and ensuring integration in the health system so we don't have greater fragmentation. So if we address the issues of competence for any particular health profession to either do vaccination or whatever clinical service it is, but also ensure if that takes place that there's not fragmentation and we ensure integration within the health system on the behalf of consumers and patients. Jared Whitmore and Chris Campbell talk about people being lost in the gaps when they're not treated holistically. Happens a lot in sorry, I was going to interrupt you, but it happens a lot in in health. We see it a lot in um, in extreme examples. Let's say um, open replacement therapy and methadone. We'll see patients who are seeing a doctor for their methadone, and that's being dealt with really well. And you ask that patient about how's your diabetes going, how's your blood pressure going, how's your cholesterol going. Oh, I don't really have anybody anybody managing that because the doctor who looks after the methadone for me only does that. And I go and see another GP, and they say, "Oh, you're on methadone. Speak to that. Speak to your doctor about that, those things." You know, they don't want to have this crossover effect, and you get people lost in the gaps from that kind of um, inability to get past what's seen as being the most important thing. You know, and if we're not holistically treating patients, then we um, we miss things, and that's. And Jared, you'd see the same through mental health services as well. You know the, the, that that um, inability to see the whole picture, and that's a diabetes, and so many so many other um, flow-on effects from that, and um, not not uh, trivialising something that's so important to a patient. You know, in a sense, to help those three things, you're giving them their life back. Yeah, you know, absolutely, giving them back control of their life. Yeah, absolutely. Joyce McSwan talks about looking at non-tangible services, planning and action, as well as optimising skill. I think in terms of pharmacy services, we need to also be capable of looking at non-tangible services. Services that may require more health literacy base um, and that, that better art of communication as such. So, for example, um, you know, yes, services that are interventional are great, you know, because you can count how many you d- you've, did, you've done. And we're quite comfortable with those, you know, there's a vaccine, number one, tick. Um, but I think the ones like meds check services and CIs are probably the ones I'm talking about that are less tangible. Yes, you can count how many meds checks you've done, but you've got to do it. And you've got to use your art of communication, then you come up with a plan. So I think... Um, health services or, or pharmacy-related services that are more in the realm of planning and action um, that's possibly varied depending and customising, that's where uh, we need to improve uh, our skill in. Yeah, and that, that creates an impact on a whole other level. Yes, we can vaccinate more. Yes, we can reduce more diseases through vaccination. Great, and that is absolutely a useful um, contribution, but I think that doesn't optimise our skill um, to the degree it could. Yeah, so our skill is beyond that. Certainly, prescribing will start to get towards more that ability to, um, you know, also do some diagnostics. That's important, and and per our you know minor ailment areas or whatever we define that. But I think beyond that, we've got to be able to have that skill of being able to 
prioritize a case, identify a case and action plan well. Yeah. David Heffernan discusses vaccinations and pharmacists globally, as well as services and pharmacists prescribing. So we're looking at vaccinations. We look at other countries in the world who are able to give like any injection, you know, I mean, we're only limited to the specific vaccines. Um, you know, you can sell a vitamin B over the counter, but you can't inject it. Um, so there's, there's lots of more scope to go through in the injection space. We're, we're not going, but this won't be revolution, it'll be evolutionary. So we, we will be looking at that. Um, you know, and, and, and vaccinations might not be the right thing for certain pharmacies, you know, but then there's other services that will be. And I just think that there is opportunity for pharmacy and pharmacists prescribing. Um, and this is not in isolation. And with, this is in collaboration with GPs. I think at the end of the day, it's not about GPs and pharmacists, it's about the patient. And what, what I'll be looking at is... Um, you know, continued prescribing where a pharmacist is comfortable to do that under disease states, not under specific molecules, disease states. So if it's urinary tract infection, pharmacist needs that autonomy to decide whether it's trimethoprim or keflexin that they use. And same with if it is, you know, for migraine, if we're looking at the tryptans, or if we're looking at um, any atopic eczema, or, or or whatever, you know, these these those are the type of things we want to look at disease states and being able to have the autonomy to choose, rather than being, you know, restricted into binary decision making. Yeah. So and then look at and then that's something I know the, the guild is going forward and and forward with, and you'll hear a lot of about it here fulfilling our scope of practice you know we've got these bright young things coming out of the university who are just you know, amazing and but they're restricted from being able to practice because of certain regulations and you know and, and it's it's just regulation it won't cost the government anything it, it just allows these people to practice and and yeah and i think it will benefit It'll have a holistic benefit to the community in many ways. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any comments, questions or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please send an email to ajppodcast at appco.com.au or follow us on Twitter at AJP Podcast.